I really keep an eye out for brain fog. It's a symptom for me of the beginnings of depression. I call it mental hygiene. What you forget is it's irresponsible not to take care of yourself. You think that you're somehow being selfless, but you're actually putting the burden of your own mental health and your self-care on other people. There is a certain amount of responsibility that you have to actively take care of yourself. Some people have blue eyes, some people have green eyes, some people have big feet, some people have little feet. Some people have obsessive compulsive disorder. Some people have depression, but it all feeds, do you know what I mean? Into a great human tapestry. Whatever budget you're working at, you're always trying to push it to the limit. So on Strictly Ballroom, I didn't have a big budget at all. We were unpicking the diamantes off one dress to stick them on another. And you just become resourceful. You may have a small budget, but the ideas never have to be small. That is costume designer, production designer, and multiple Oscar winner, Catherine Martin. And this is Better Than Yesterday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Today, welcome to the show. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday, making it better each and every episode since 2013. I am a uh, podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a television presenter. I'm a crew cut haver. I'm a hand physiotherapist going to a going to the hand physiotherapist today. I had a fall and I dumped something. Uh, hand physiotherapists are like your regular physiotherapist, but the treadmills are smaller. I'm really loving. I'm leaning right into the dad jokes, man. It's good. Like, you've got to play for the groans, man. you really got to play for the groans. That's where it really, that's the key to success, I think, with this sort of stuff. If you want to get involved with the show, the mailing list is in the show notes. There's live gigs you can come check out. All the details there are in the show notes. It'd be great to see you there. Episode today is with Catherine Martin. Uh, Now, why? Well, I talk a lot here on this show about creativity. I talk a lot about the practices that can help creativity become an easier thing to bring into your life. Because like anything, you can manufacture creativity, you can manufacture serendipity. These are things that we we can do. When it comes to creativity, though, it can often feel like we are limited because you don't have access, whether it be to a camera or a, a paper and a pen or a laptop or I don't know what else you want to be creative with, a, a good kitchen. Like, a, oh, we only had the, the really good mixing thing that I could really bake and therefore we don't end up creating at all. I also talk a lot about the practice of staying mentally fit and uh, mentally healthy and being able to keep that as a part of your healthy daily routine to stay that way. 
And these things can all seem like, seem like a chore. It can seem like a chore. But both of those things pay incredible dividends. And my guest today is, is proof. Catherine Martin is a multiple Oscar winner. She's won four Oscars. She's been nominated nine times. In collaboration with her husband, Baz Luhrmann, she has created visually memorable feature films and ad campaigns that the moment I mention them, you'll see, oh, all right, of course, Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge, uh, Romeo and Juliet, the DiCaprio one, uh, Great Gatsby, Australia, uh, most recently Elvis. When you think of the visuals of those films, you think of the production design, I'm talking about uh, a cup, a plate, a table, uh, how a doorway looks, all those things are part of production design. It's indelible and it's a huge part of the storytelling process. And that is what Catherine is so very, very, very good at. She did the Chanel Number no. 5 campaign for Nicole Kidman. The, the visual aesthetic that she creates is undeniable. She's extraordinary. She's also delightful and lives with a different brain and is very clear about how she manages to create what she creates and do what she does with this brain. And the proofs in the pudding, four Oscars, nine nominations, the feature films I just mentioned, her success is unparalleled. Uh, this conversation is really interesting. It, it covers a lot of how important restriction is when it comes to creativity. We talk about the joy of problem solving and having something that requires you to think carefully about fixing uh, a problem uh, as being an interesting thing to get done through the day. She talks about identifying the useful aspects of parts of your brain that can sometimes you know, cause you issues. We talk about balancing obsessiveness and perfection or the pursuit of perfection, not only in work, but also in life. We talk about the, the transition into parenthood and how that changes uh, your perspective, not only on life, but also on your work. And we talk about the reinvigoration of work through the lens of parenthood. This is one of the more wonderful conversations I've had on this show in recent times, and I couldn't be more grateful to Abby, my producer, who helped line it up. It, it's absolutely brilliant. She's a stunning human, and I'm overjoyed that she, she said yes to coming on the show because I know I got so much out of this chat and I'm sure you will too. I can't wait for you to get to know Catherine Martin. I'm in beautiful Melbourne <laughs> and it is cold and the clouds obscured the tops of the high rises around me today. Wow. That's sort of slightly ominous. Uh, mostly because I didn't bring enough clothes, oh, Catherine. Being cold is miserable. Yeah, but when you're cold, you look fantastic. When I cold, I just look cold. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I think we all experience cold in our own individual ways. But Catherine, I'm a man of a certain age and I've passed the point where I kind of buy my own clothes by one, if I'm ever wearing like good stuff, it's because Melissa Byrne, who styles me and has done for years for work, just goes, I'll take that one home. And anything else is my wife, she goes, you look good in this. I don't, I haven't bought my own stuff for a long time. And I'm past the point where I'm like, eh. but you, you, you roll Prada day to day. Like that's a different scenario altogether. <laughs> well, yes, but my job is clothes. You have a different job. So your focus <laughs> is different. You know, I love clothes and I, you know, like some people like cars. Some people collect, you know, vintage cars or enjoy uh, flicking through an automotive, automotive, autom yeah, automotive magazine, and checking out what's for sale. And I like yep. looking at fashion parades. I do too. I just don't trust myself to buy the good stuff. I just know there's people who are better than me <laughs> at doing it. I, I can buy myself terrible clothes and they never look good. And I've, I, I must be honest, and full credit to Melissa, everything I know really about how colours work together and about detail of a suit or a line or any tailoring, I learned from Melissa uh, because we've built, I don't know, 60 suits together or more yes. by now. And um, she's like she's the reason that I became truly aware of the the impact of your work over the time of working with her. And one of, one of the things that is obvious for anybody that sees your work is the extraordinary level of detail in every frame. And these are the things you could do when you have budget. 
I would like to know, I guess, when you first started, when you were on your, um, you know, Singer or Faf or I, I don't know what particular kind of <laughs> machine it was, what was the gap between what you could achieve uh, under your own steam and what you wished it could have been? Look, I think that um, budget can never be an excuse for not helping to tell the story through whatever means you have. You know, Baz has often said to me, oh, you can make Titanic for $500 million and you can make it for $50 on your phone. So for me, the approach has always been about trying by using clothes, costumes or the environment or props to try and help tell the story. And often having fewer resources kind of can make you more resourceful. But I think that we're whatever budget you're working at, you're always trying to push it to the limit. So on Strictly Ballroom, I didn't have a big budget at all or at drama school, um, I didn't have a big budget. But you try and find a process, a way of interpreting the director's vision and what the actors want to communicate within the scope of what you have at your disposal. But I think you may have a small budget, but the ideas never have to be small. And, you know, when I was a student or I was working on smaller budget things, I would use myself as a resource, though. I would sew it myself or you come up with ideas like very famously early on in his career, John Galliano had no money to put a collection together and he could only buy one type of black fabric but he made one of the most impactful collections of his career. So sometimes limitations uh, make for great creative endeavour. And, you know, like on Strictly Ballroom, we were unpicking the diamantes off one dress to stick them on another. And you just become resourceful, which I think is good. And being resourceful serves you well, doesn't matter what size your budget is. I'm old. I'm like 50. I, I wasn't Q&A last night. I looked around. I was like, I'm the oldest person here. Ah, it was like the first time it had happened. You know, it's eventually yes. going to happen. There's a time when your doctor becomes younger than you. You go, ah, yes. and it's a frightening moment. And last night I was like, oh, I'm, I'm older than all the people, including the host. Crikey. Uh, so, you know, but in the time that I've been working and the time that you've been working, we went from mags of film or, a, you know, cassette of tape. Yes. So you had max eight minutes or 12 or 16 minutes, yeah. that's it. Or, you know, I've got seven frames. This is it. I'm going to shoot seven frames. Now I can hit go and just roll 8K for hours. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make it a good idea. When, do you, it, when you are now faced with, well, I can get 17 on-hand ateliers to bead all these gowns, do you put restrictions on yourself to try to keep that, that kind of resourcefulness pop up in your work, popping up in your work? I think that um, the one thing that always contains you is time. Time is a great leveller because uh, that's something that you can never create. And so invariably in any endeavour which has a time limit, like anyone can be a genius if you have as much money and time as you know, that you could just keep stretching that forever. But one of the resources that you get less and less of as you get older and older is time. So I think that that is the one thing that keeps you honest because there are deadlines in life and there are deadlines in filmmaking, there's deadlines in theatre, there are deadlines, you know, I live in a practical industry where at some point someone's going to push a button and they're going to turn camera and Something has to be in front of it. And I think that is what endlessly keeps you resourceful. And I think, too, working with people who, you know, I work with someone that who constantly surprises me and constantly has ideas that I didn't think of. And I work with collaborators who challenge me on a daily basis. 
and have challenged me over years and years. And that keeps you resourceful. And look, I don't know what it is about life, but I find the more you feel that you're on top of something and you think, yep, yep, I've got this all sewn up. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up tomorrow and it's all going to be perfect. And invariably, it's in those cocky moments where you go for a bit of a tumble and that keeps you honest too. And you've just got to pick yourself up and in the moment, come up with a new idea. It's understandable. People might think, here I am. I have four Oscars. Don't you challenge me. This is my vision. What do you get out of working with people and, you know, training the people that you work with that it's okay to question you? What do you get out of that? Well, I think that it's really hard for one individual to see something in 360 degrees. You know, there'll always be a blind spot. However open or undefensive or whatever you're being, just because you are who you are, there is a kind of a blind spot always in what you're making or doing. And I think that when you have people that you can have an honest conversation with and they can help you to see in a more global way you actually are pushed to have better and more complete ideas and also to go outside your comfort zone. And it's also less lonely. I mean, being in conversation, it's a much happier place to be because you're not alone. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about the theatre and about filmmaking, about my work, is that it's not just about me. You know, I have other people that I'm in constant conversation with and that means that it's a shared journey and somehow that's a bit more satisfying than just being by yourself. I, I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we are a, we're a herd animal. We're a pack animal. And to not whiten anything, but I've been, you know, speaking with mates who work in policy in the Middle East and one of the things I keep coming back to is like the, the true way to achieve anything with someone that you disagree with is to build something together. So what great way to bond with another person is to create something together. And it's, there's a great joy in that. I, I firmly believe that as humans, we're hardwired to, to pursue that group problem solving uh, in service of, of the good of both of you, because that's what keeps us alive. Totally. And to me, group problem solving is just so miraculous. It's the true magic of being human. What do you call it when you turn, you know, lead into gold? Alchemy. I just think it's incredible how through conversation and sitting around in a room, I can go in with an intractable opinion or something I imagine is intractable into a workshopping session or a discussion. And it never ceases to amaze me how words and collaborating with another person and listening to them can convince me of completely the opposite thing that I came in with. And I think that that is miraculous and how through conversation you can actually turn something totally ephemeral, whether it's a script or a story or an idea of an actor or the storytelling vision of a director or whatever, which is just words and air, and it can actually become something real, which to me I just find just so profoundly magical I can't even speak. And the fact that, you know, people through talking can change your mind, you know, that to me I always think, wow, that's incredible. And, yeah, I I can totally see how making something together or having a discussion or just looking at Oppenheimer, like I got really excited about the scenes in the movie Oppenheimer where they're all sitting in the room bringing all the knowledge together and talking about how to make the atom bomb. And to me, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not kind of discussing that, but what was interesting was it was about a collective 
working together, you kind of have this vision that, you know, it's one person who kind of isn't lying in bed kind of and a giant light globe goes off. Well, yes, that is true to some extent. But how much further ideas go when you have a collective that are actually discussing it and um, trying to make that idea grow? A, a, a large part of any kind of creativity is our really it's our it's our brain reaching to a subconscious and going here's a connection, but it, it's something we you know you can stoke and you can work at. I wonder like in the feeding of the subconscious, being mindful of what's going in your eyeballs, or I'm going off to work on this particular project. I need to go and you know feed my brain with a bit of stuff. And then go do something else for a while, and then the ideas will come. Or is it like all in one one hit for you when you're work when you're starting to create a new thing? Look, I think it's a mysterious process. I mean, in terms of the work that I do, it's very research based. So there's a lot of input either through reading or looking at pictures, and a lot of the time, I'm not somebody who goes. Uh, the question's posed and I immediately know the answer. You know, usually I'm confused or have no idea, you know, and it's really humbling because I think also as a creative person you tend to have the wildly, you go through moments of wild egotism when you think, oh, I'm flying and I've got so many great ideas and then the next minute you're like, uh, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing and I have no idea how to get to where I need to go. So you wildly swing from those two things and it's probably the tension between the two that keeps you honest. And as I get older, I've just learnt that you have to quiet those voices and kind of do the boring things, which is read the book write a list, look at the pictures, that there is no, you know, magical moment. It's just work and you just have to go through the process. And sometimes the process is enormously satisfying and sometimes it's less satisfying. But ultimately, if you're consistent, however dull that sounds, if you're consistent, Eventually, you will have some revelations. You will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go, oh, now I know what I should do, you know, because you've primed yourself. A number of years ago, you know, I learned um, transcendental meditation, which I try and do. I'm in a very bad period at the moment um, of not meditating as I should, but one of the things that always struck me is I think that the Maharishi said, you know, when meditating, people say, oh, that was a good meditation or that was a bad meditation or whatever. But then when they put all the electrodes on your brain, people report that they're having, you know, a transcendental moment and other people report that their toe was just itching, but actually their brainwaves change in exactly the same way. And I think the Maharishi said, you know, if you, you can jump in the ocean or you can step in a puddle and you still get wet, right? So I think it's sort of similar with creativity is that a lot of it, right, is quite practice-based. You know, it's quite skills-based. It's going through the process and having faith that the process will deliver you to a place you hadn't imagined before. But that's hard sometimes because you'd like it to be just easier or less boring or, you know. Uh, Do you think that the, the, the brain you got when you got born uh, is part of the reason why when you combine that brain with that process, the, the career that you've had is what the career you've had? Look, that's a huge question, but in our family, there's a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder, some diagnosed and some undiagnosed like myself. And I notice absolutely that my obsessive eye, like it's actually quite physical sometimes when I'm looking at a set and I'm scanning it, I actually feel if there's something out of place or there's something wrong, it is a physical problem. 
like I actually it makes me feel physically uncomfortable and I cannot rest until I change it. But that also means that you can unhealthily obsess about detail that really is irrelevant to the bigger picture. So you have to learn to balance those two things. You know, I'll be hugely irritating because I'll be having a discussion with Baz about something really important, but there'll be a light globe behind him that isn't working or whatever. And all I can think about, I can't even hear what this poor person is trying to tell me because I can see that thing. So I know now that I have to switch off my brain sometimes and go, no, I've got to not look, just don't look at, you've got to, that's not important. But I'm absolutely sure that being obsessive and hyper-focused is really good when you're trying to get something, you're trying to be really perfect and precise. That's really helpful. And yeah, is it frustrating that you're not perfect all the time? Of course it is. But I think that's one of the lessons having children taught me is that I wanted this immaculate, perfect existence. But when you invite these people into your life who have a completely different way of seeing the world and really don't think of you, you're not the centre of the universe anymore, they are, it kind of just loosens you up a bit in terms of all of your expectations about how visually perfect the world needs to be. For someone who sees a set and gets physically uncomfortable if uh, something isn't exactly square or a bit off kilter, to live with toddlers, that would have been a challenge. It's a challenge. I am still known by my children. They use a slur. They call me the Christmas Nazi because, like, I couldn't have, like, I have to be in charge of Christmas. It doesn't matter that it's the children's time of year. The decorations have to be perfect. And it's become, you know, there's a lot of humour around that in our family, that, like, it's the one time of year when I become completely demented and I'm unable to be tamed because Christmas goes my way in terms of decorations or it's the highway. <laughs> when the when the kids were little, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in in that transition from because uh, it happened for me in a very in a different way. Uh, you mentioned that you know the center of the universe feeling when kids come along and the appreciation of oh it doesn't matter what my clock says anymore. This is the way it is because this young person has no sense of uh, impulse control none yeah. at all doesn't they don't yeah uh, was that a, a difficult thing for you to 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 come to grips with or was it, i mean they're lucky they're cute yes you know because they're all chubby and squishy and uh, you know it was one of those i really wanted to become a parent i really wanted to have children and the journey was slightly complicated to get there and so i was really grateful to have them so basically my whole world then just revolved really around my children and work so that was you know they were the two polemics and what was interesting about the kids is that they they reinvigorated my love of work because I remember being on the weekend and you just go like oh my gosh everything is out of my control no one cares what I think and this is a free-for-all, right? And then you would go to work on Monday morning and you'd go, oh, my God, people actually care what I think and actually engage in a meaningful way and want things to go in an organised and smooth fashion. And it's not just struggling to get shoes on two children under three and just going, there's got to be an easier way to get shoes on. You know, <laughs> what I mean? like, you're just like, how hard can this be? 
Like I've done some hard things, but this is getting to be overwhelming. I cannot, you know, and no sooner, you know, living in the United States and having two small children and having to get them dressed to go to school in all their winter clothes and then everybody's dressed, you're rushing for the bus and then one of them needs to pee and you just think, we're never, we're never going to leave the house ever. We're just going to be stuck in this endless cycle because as soon as I undress <laughs> you and take you to the bathroom, the other one's going to need to go. And it's just like, and you just go, wow. But it teaches you so much because so many things that we think of as being really, really important aren't that important. And other things that maybe we haven't put importance on are a lot more important than we thought they were. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned time being the great restrictor. The extraordinary weight of the idea that like the first time you see them actually really change uh, from day to day. I think Georgia was about 10 or 11 and I, I met her when she was 10. And just the next day she woke up and was like, wow, your voice is different and you're taller. Uh, and knowing that the, she's never going to be little again like she was yesterday. And then so when Wolfie came along, every day is you're literally only going to be this squishy and small for this day, this hour, this moment, because tomorrow you'll be bigger. And the first time that hit me, I was just, oh, it was a lot. But it's the thing that, I honest, and I'm sure it's the same with you. It's the thing that you know. I've got, I've had three hip replacements. I'm old, man. Uh, Dad, come and do it on the floor with me. Yep, that's the thing that <laughs> gets me down there. Yeah, because it's time, and also you, as you get older, you don't feel older in yourself, or one doesn't feel older in your, in themselves. You know, when 93 year olds say, "Oh, I feel 25, but I'm 90." I certainly, I'm 58 and I go, wow, I don't feel 58. I don't behave like I'm 58. I don't want to be 58. I want to be me and I want to be active in the world and I want to get down on the ground and I want to have experiences and I want to have new ideas and I want to experience things in different ways and I want to get to know my children in different ways because mine are old now. And that just happened so fast and it's such a cliche, but it was exactly as you describe. It was what, you're now 18 and 20 and it just doesn't seem to be possible. Yeah. And then you go through. George is uh, now 19 and, it's, and she's it's this crazy. tall. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and you just think, how is this possible? How did I get here? Why are they? What? You know, and all the experiences are different. But a very good friend of mine said, you know, the experience of having children just gets better and better. It's great when they're little. And then as young adults, I'm really enjoying my interactions with them and who they're becoming as people. There's a lot of fun to be had and a lot of sharing to do that you haven't been able to, sh in you know, in a way that you haven't been able to share before because, you know, they were incapable of sharing, as we so often tell them. This is this is, this is true. I've heard you speak about your 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 own mum and uh, your grandma in and the idea that speaking about one's headspace and speaking about one's physical health and and mental health was a very normal thing in, in your home. Is uh, was that the same with with your kids? Oh, absolutely. Because look, I lived with a mother who had a number of schizophrenic episode and in the old days we used to call it manic depression i think it's called bipolar now but and you know my grandmother had been a profoundly depressed person my french grandmother and um i even went to visit her in the sanatorium in france when they were still doing sleep cures this was what they did for really intractable depression they'd just put you to sleep forever and I remember saying, my mother, I don't really understand why we're going to visit her because she's asleep, so she doesn't know I've come. 
And my mother said, you just have to visit people regardless of whether they know because you know that you visited them. And that seemed like a logical thing. But, yes, we've always talked about mental health. All of us within our family um, have had therapy and certainly I've um, struggled with depression as well, certainly not to the same degree as my mother, but I've, through therapy and some medication, you know, I overcome it, but I have to be vigilant that I don't just let it slip because sometimes it's a bit like, you, you know, it's a bit like being a frog in boiling water. You don't understand that the water's getting hotter and hotter. And, yeah, it's something that the children, Baz and I, we all talk about mental health because mental health is physical health because the reason you feel a certain way is because chemicals in your brain, you know, are reacting and neurons are firing in a particular way. So there's nothing to be ashamed about. What I think is a shame, it's not to be ashamed about, is that we're not more supportive of um, these really real challenges that people have in terms of their health in general. And mental health is really, really important thing to speak about. You know, because my mother's had a really good life. She was a great mum, you know, and it's because we spoke about it and she got the right care. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And, and unfortunately, the, the right care and the best we knew at the time was what happened to your grandmother. And I'm sorry that you saw that, had to see that as a kid. And I'm sorry that she had to go through that. But that was before modern antipsychotics. That's That was kind of the best idea we had. But thankfully, science is science and we come up with better ideas and we implement those. And those are silent. There's one in Brisbane near my brother's house. It's just empty. It's still there. It's a big, beautiful, old, frightening-looking building, but there's nobody in it because we found different ways to help people. It's really hard, isn't it, to diagnose because it's not a broken bone. Just a moment away from Catherine Martin to let you know that there are live gigs on the way. The Melbourne International Comedy Festival shows are on sale right now. Tickets are in the show notes. We also have a mailing list that I'd love you to get a part of. There's a newsletter on board. Newsletter. Just get in the uh, show notes. You'll find the link there. And if this podcast brings you value, if you're listening to this and go, wow, you know what? A friend of mine would love to hear that. Just send him a link of this or, or jump on Instagram and there's always clips online um, shoot him over a clip and go you probably want to check this podcast out that'd be rad back with Catherine Martin in a moment hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen when I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What are some ways that you keep track uh, of where you are? And I wonder, is that, a, is that a practice? Is it a habitual thing? Is it something you keep on top of? I really um, keep an eye out for brain fog because to me, brain fog and is kind of a precursor. It's a symptom of, for me, of the beginnings of depression and sort of losing confidence, you know, being hesitant about things and an inability to cope in a way that I um, could usually cope because I'm a 
pretty good coper in general, but it's when little things start to be, seem to become, you know, you're making mountains out of molehills mole or you start to catastrophize things. You know, I know when the kids were little, it would be like, oh, I'd forgotten to ring a mother about a play date. And that would become, in my brain, you know, oh, my God, my children will never have friends. I've sentenced them to a friendless existence because of my um, lack of, you know, I forgot something and somehow this created this ongoing terrible thing, which was total fiction, but that's the kind of ideas you have in your head. And I think you just got to, yeah, I, I sort of, I have a word for it. I call it mental hygiene. And it's like checking in with yourself that you're in a good place, you know, and making sure, because I think a lot, well, so many people, men and women, but I think mothers a lot of the time really prioritise other people's well-being. But it's like being in their plane. You've got to put the air uh, mask on yourself before you start helping other people. But that's a really hard lesson to learn. And I'm still learning how to do it. What you forget is it's irresponsible not to take care of yourself, right? You think that you're somehow being selfless, but you're actually putting the burden of your own mental health and your self-care on other people. And I always think to myself how grateful I am that my parents have always actively um, looked after their own physical and mental health, which means that you're not always thinking, is dad going to keel over uh, because of blah, blah, blah? You know that he's already gone to do all of those checks, you know? So if it happens, you have no guilt as a child because you know that they have actively taken care of themselves. So I think too as a parent there is a certain amount of responsibility that you have to act actually actively take care of yourself. And sometimes I reframe it like that for myself because it feels, it's probably just as unhealthy, but it feels like I'm doing good by looking after myself. If things aren't starting to go too well, what are some steps that you know you need to take, ranging from, oh, if I just do this for a few days, I'll be fine, or looks like I need a, a you know a couple of weeks of this or that? Um, I certainly will go and see um, my psychiatrist and talk about it. I'll have a look at if and what medication I'm taking, am I taking enough? Uh, what I think medical health professionals help you to do is, especially if they've known you over a period of time, they can say things to you like, look, you've just told me what's going on in your life. Anyone would be struggling right now. So this isn't, you're not falling into a deeper depression. You're just struggling. I think you need a holiday or I think you need to prioritise um, an extra half hour walk every day in your life, you know, or whatever those things are. Or they can say, yes, that doesn't sound good. I think we'll tweak this or let's talk about that. Why don't we bring everyone in to have a conversation about it? But I think that's what's really helpful about having a relationship with someone who you talk to a lot about your mental health, you know, who is outside of your everyday life. So they don't they don't have any skin in the game. They're just an, kind of an observer of the situation. I think that's really, really helpful. And then I think too, recommitting to things like meditation really helps me just to take that 20 minutes to just calm down and just go, okay, let's just refocus. I think walking I find incredibly helpful to sort any emotional problem for myself anyway out and I think it's really funny wasn't there a TikTok craze of quiet walking and I was like isn't that what walking is <laughs> but I didn't realize that most people have music on yeah. or the talking book or whatever but I just find yeah. that walking has so is so beneficial and walking and talking like even with you know from a relationship standpoint standpoint with 
my husband, we actively seek out walks because walking and talking somehow is better than just sitting, you know, and then walks for me, uh, walking to the office in the morning, I'm always in a better mental headspace when I walk to the office in the morning and I walk home because it provides the bridge from whatever happens at home to another mental space. You know what I mean? And I think too, we're so violent with our psyches, like just like the kind of giant dipper kind of like one minute we're here, the next minute we're there. There's no transition. Uh, I remember early on when I first started working in radio, it didn't take, it was 30 years ago, two weeks in, I could no longer listen to just radio. It was, oh, that was a three-minute ad break before playing a gold song. That was a 12-second sweeper before. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. They played the, you know, the hot song, the pop, you know, you know. I just started to dissect the sausage, right? And that's it. I was never heard radio or saw television the same again. When you watch stuff, like, is there anything, like I saw watching, you know, who doesn't want a streaming recommendation from Catherine Martin? <laughs> what are you watching at the moment that you go, ah, not just because you know them, but like that is a good looking show. Oh, what a good, what a good question. I mean, there are so many things I enjoy because I'm carried along by the story rather than, you know, rather than dissecting the costumes. Some shows that seem completely and utterly at odds with each other, but. I am a secretly very sentimental person um, and I adored Ted Lasso. And I think the costumes in Ted Lasso were fantastic. <laughs> right? And I. It was perfection. <laughs> they were so good. And then you look at The Crown, and those costumes are also brilliantly studied. Two completely different things. But I never look at the clothes because I'm just in the moment of whatever that particular series is. But I do love a documentary and I've just been watching the Beckham documentary and just like laughing and crying, the highs, the lows, oh, my God. And everyone laughs because they go, you're not interested at all in soccer. You'd never watch a soccer game. But anything that about the periphery of soccer I'm obsessed with. So I've watched Ted Lasso, I've watched Welcome to Wrexham, the Beckham documentary, and I think it's because it's everything around the soccer that reminds me of the theatre and, you know, how they get the kit and they set up the kit and all the socks and all of that. And I kind of love that because that's what we do every day in everyone's trailer on a movie set. That's what you do in the theatre and you set up their kit and then it's like the dressing, the chorus dressing room is like the backstage in soccer. But, Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a dramatic, it's the dr most dramatic of all sports played on a field, I think, soccer. Well, I, having said that, though, you saw the footage of his walk in wardrobe, uh, the with folding and right angles, like, and the stacking of the t shirts. Does Bex have a, Does Bex have a spot in on your crew? Oh my god! Like honestly, I wish my wardrobe looked like that. He needs. He he is. He needs his own show about how to organise your wardrobe. Like, it's just so immaculate. Oh, and when he claims... The week. I've got the, that's the week. I've got the whole week over yeah, there. I've got the yeah. whole week. And what about when he cleans the kitchen? <laughs> he needs to come to my house. Oh! And he says he's... For hours. I'll just be just here for hours. Just, <laughs> yeah, like, know. with the thing. And it's so immaculate. I just thought it was a fantastic documentary. And I love that they just leave him alone. They, they leave him alone because they're like, he's probably cracked the shits. Like, don't talk to me now. This is the time when I have to be quiet and do this thing yeah. and you have to leave me alone because I'll be okay after this. But if I don't get to do this, <laughs> no, bad times. Yeah. I love brush. it. So, yeah. So, they're the three things that I've been really focusing on. And, yeah, so maybe my next step is actually enjoying a game of soccer. I'll have to get into that. I was going to say there's a fantastic wraparound documentary on um, that was shot before in the lead up to the World Cup on the Matildas, and it is it's magnificent. Oh, it's truly magnificent. That's what I'm going to go and do. 
I'm going to download that and on the plane tonight I'm going to watch that. More soccer, more soccer. <laughs> you bet. Catherine, I'm just so delighted that I got a chance to speak with you today and, and thank you for putting so much work into what you do because uh, it, you know, people like myself and my wife and Melissa, we, we see your work and we get it, but there's a reason you are who you are. And thank you so much for also sharing so openly today because uh, I, I've, I'm very much of the agreements. Like it's just, if we just talk about things matter-of-factly, then the solutions seem matter-of-fact. They're not this, oh, my God, I've got to yes. take this pill and I've got to just like, well, no, you've just, I'm just looking after a problem and that means I can get on with yes. my life. And that's all. That's really all it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And you can't be what you can't see. And if you don't realize that if your kid or someone you love has a diagnosis like this, you may think their life's over. No, not at all. No. It's just a thing and you'll get by and it'll be okay. Yeah, and it makes them who they are and maybe they're more interesting and a more dynamic <sighs> person because of it. And, you know, some people have blue eyes, some people have green eyes, some people have big feet, some people have little feet, some people have obsessive compulsive disorder, some people have depression, but it all feeds, do you know what I mean, into a great human tapestry and we would not be who we are without it. You're the best. That was Catherine Martin. She's just quite stunning. Go see Elvis. Go watch Strictly Ballroom again. When was the last time you saw Romeo and Juliet? Incredible. Moulin Rouge, what a film. So many. She's fantastic. What a lovely lady and what an extraordinary conversation to have. Most Oscars owned by a person I've ever, ever spoken with. That's the award that I'm giving myself today. There we go. Thanks for being a part of the show. Come see the live gigs. All the details are in the show notes. Also, that's where the newsletter information is. Great to have you here. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks to Toa Haida, who did the music. Andy Ma, who made all of the audio and video post-production happen. Abby Benno, who produced the show. And uh, Ben and Monica for helping keep the lights on on OGTV. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 